Hey everyone, and welcome to this new episode of the UWPM Podcast, a series where we sit down with some incredible product managers from all corners of the industry to learn more about their unique stories. My name is CM, and I'll be your host for this evening. So I hope you're all excited for this episode, because today I'll be chatting with my good friend Kai Gandhi, a current full-time associate product manager at Verizon Media down in San Francisco. So for those who don't know, Kai is actually one of the co-founders of the UWPM team, as well as a former software engineering student from Waterloo. So Kai, to start off, I'm sure the audience would love to hear more about you and your unique story. Um, well, I think you, you had a great introduction there. I graduated in 2018 from software and uh, started P- UWPM. It was called PVC or Product Vision Club back in the day. Uh, took it over uh, in 2015, uh, which was right after Hack the Note. That's actually when uh, the club was incepted or like started out. Uh, was literally as a booth at the first Hack the North. Um, and uh, you know, it's amazing to see the the strong community that's that shaped up over the years. Um, uh, I also, after graduating, uh, helped bring a startup to life called Epoch, and uh, that was an incredible learning journey. And uh, you know, learned a lot of things about building something from zero to one and also working uh, with a team and understanding the challenges and things to look for uh, in, in what's a good fit and what's not and also increasing sort of your self-awareness in terms of what's complementary and what you need to successfully build a company in addition to building a product. Um, and then prior to that, I led uh, a conference that has been around for but two, two decades now. This is like the 20th year anniversary. It was started by system design engineering students from Waterloo back in 2000 called the Canadian Undergraduate Technology Conference. So uh, brought that back to life in 2016, right after uh, leaving UWPM. Um, and it's been uh, going ever since. Um, awesome. That was a great introduction. And we'll definitely jump more into those details later on. So to start off, why don't you tell the audience what you were doing before you transitioned into product management? So what did your earlier co-ops look like? Yeah, so I, I actually, coming into software engineering, I knew I didn't want to become a software engineer. So it's kind <laughs> of, uh, uh, I, I realized I was a systems kid in software uh, after I realized what systems was, which was after coming to university. And I know uh, the folks there have tried to, in, you know, improve the awareness and like basically describe what it is. I think there's a website called What Is Systems um, yeah, now, is. and I wish I wish that was there when I was applying because um, I was choosing between CS and uh, the double degree, or CS business double degree, and software. Um, and so I didn't really know any better, and figured that this was good for the cohort uh, system that engineering has. Um, and so I started out pretty humble roots. Uh, and back in 2014, first co-op was at BlackBerry uh, doing like test automation, basically QA stuff. Um, and I didn't really know what to expect. I thought QA was actually, um, like I, I didn't really know that it involves a lot of manual testing as well. Um, so that was a good sort of break into what specifically they did as a, as a, at, at a big company like BlackBerry at the time. Uh, going through its revival by John Chen. And I think now they're actually profitable and doing really well in uh, self-driving software, self-driving car software. Um, 
But, and then after that, I did like a software engineering internship at a really small startup. Um, and so that was a complete opposite spectrum. Um, and the way I broke into PM was actually by accident. Happy to talk about it more if, uh, if that's what we want to dive into next. Yeah, for sure. So that was actually my next question. So I know a lot of students, they uh, start off in, you know, software-related positions because realistically, those are the most um, abundant jobs out there. But I know a lot of students are always looking to make that jump or that transition into PM. So um, how did your transition go and what type of positions did you hold while transitioning or after? Yeah, I think that's super important. And I didn't really know the right answer. I don't think so. there is one specific path. Uh, also, back then, PM was fairly, fairly nascent in terms of like internship opportunities and companies even being receptive to that role, uh, in, you know, from students and interns. Um, so I think the big three were like Yelp, Microsoft, and uh, like the Google APM internship uh, at the time. And there's a, maybe a scattering of a few other opportunities. Um, it seems like the field has grown uh, incredibly in the past couple of years, and like you have a lot more people getting opportunities to do PM early on. Um, for me, it was all about taking the initiative and showing the passion or interest for that field. So the main way was like the club, um, where um, it was like the first time I was leading something and like working with other people, and uh, so that was like a pretty important part of my interview to convince. Um, the CTO who I was interviewing with for my first PM internship, uh, why PM instead of software? And uh, I mean, initially it was a web development uh, role. And after he, like after we got to know each other better and he dived deeper into my experiences, like with the club and starting that community on campus, um, he thought I would be a better fit for a product role. Um, you know, it's like if you do what you like or, like what you're really interested in, you probably will do better. I think he was coming from that point of view. Um, and, and so he basically created a PM internship specifically for me, um, which was basically how I broke into PM. I had got rejected from every other like official big PM internship at the mm -hmm. time, which was like maybe a dozen at most. Zynga used to hire PM interns in Toronto. Uh, that's actually how one of the uh, other presidents of PVC, uh, product UWPM, Helen Huang, she's at Microsoft now doing product. Um, she got her break into PM um, um, at Zynga in Toronto. So uh, there were a handful of companies where people did PM internships. And I think I got super lucky in that um, I was able to get a position that was just created. Um, so sometimes you make your own opportunities. And I think a lot of people are doing that today, including you probably, uh, CM. So, um, that's my story. I, I find that really interesting because um, it's amazing to see how PMs evolved as, as a field because you mentioned that, you know, back in the, in the day, there weren't that many PM jobs available on Waterloo system. But nowadays, um, I feel like companies are becoming more comfortable with letting students assume those PM positions, right? So they're, they're providing more trust within their students to lead those roles, which is something incredible. Yeah, and it's not just that they weren't on Waterloo system. Um, I think the industry wasn't as receptive of it in general. Like even APM pro programs, like full-time new grad opportunities were still just the, a few companies that were really doing it. Um, but over the past two, three years, you see like a lot more companies uh, adapting that model and having that. Um, and so I think it's become a lot more accessible, but it's also become a lot more competitive over the past few, few years. 
Yeah, for sure. I feel like it's especially competitive because a lot of people go into software engineering internships initially, and then they yeah. realize that they really miss the people aspect of engineering, right? Which is something that product management really emphasizes. So I feel like that's why, especially people in those fields are always looking to make the jump into PM. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a, an interesting insight you bring. Um, I've noticed a lot of times like, you know, the definition or the, and I like what a PM does, I think it is often glorified. Um, and so it's not some shiny, sexy job that like you get to tell people what to do, right? Like a lot of it is doing the grunt work, doing stuff that no one wants to do, um, or there isn't anyone to do it. And so uh, in some sense, you do fill in the gaps for a bunch of different skills and roles. Um, so um, I think that's something I've realized as well over, over my different internships and especially so um, doing it at smaller companies. Yeah, exactly, for sure. So um, personally, I've always believed that product management um, and entrepreneurship are more intertwined than people often acknowledge. So I know that on top of your PM gigs, you started your own company back in 2018 named Epoch, which you mentioned before. Uh, do you mind telling us a bit more about that, the roots, and you know how you actually um, got it off the ground? Yeah, um, so I guess diving into the backstory, uh, it's something that my co-founders had initially started. And they had been working on uh, the student competition for uh, about half a year. And it was something called the Halt Prize on campus. Um, and honestly, the intention wasn't really to start a company uh, when we first chatted. Uh, it was more about being passionate about building something, bringing, uh, bringing a product to life. and, and going through the motions of helping people and like actually understanding how do you build something that people will use. Um, and this was more in the context of uh, FYDP. So my team, they were like, hey, Kyle, like you're the PM guy. Like, because there were also very, very few people in software that did PM, I think. Yeah, for sure. um, and so they were like, hey, we want to do something for our project and me included that didn't just die after symposium day, which is probably like most projects that are incredible. But then people move on. People have full time yeah. offers. They uh, they sort of fizzle out. And so we wanted something that we could, you know, meaningfully continue with or leave with an impact in that sense. Right? We didn't want it to be just another thing that we move on with after. Um, and so that was the intention. We wanted to find something that could make uh, some real world impact. And uh, it was very serendipitous the way we came across my co-founder. I think the, the common trait that has you know, led to a lot of incredible experiences for me personally has been curiosity, just reaching out, taking initiative. Um, so my, my co-founders um, who are still running the company, they're doing incredible stuff right now. Um, they had, you know, reached out to a bunch of engineering um, profs for FIDP uh, who ran FIDP courses uh, saying they were looking for technical counterparts uh, to help with like building and like understanding, bringing it to life. Um, so they, they were uh, from accounting and financial management. So they had more of uh, a diverse complementary background. So not really technical, uh, but they had hustled and were really good at pitching their concept. And uh, the idea also was timely. This was back in the 2017 refugee crisis. So that was our initial idea. Uh, we were building uh, a, uh, basically a mobile app to help refugees or newcomers in communities uh, get socially integrated into their like, new environments and connect locals with them 
to help with things like you know English lessons, resume reviews, um, but adapting a time banking concept. So our initial problem set was very different. Uh, and it was also defined by the competition that we were in, the broader realm that we were solving for. Um, that was an incredible experience, but uh, you know, it really was after the competition, which we, um, we were in the top six of, of, the, of that event and uh, the finals were at the UN. So it was like this grand stage and you know, we were all super excited because not something that we had expected to experience. Um, and I was super grateful for that, still am. Um, but essentially, we didn't win. And so we were like, okay, well, how do we build something that can sustain and actually continue to provide value to people, uh, like even beyond uh, a seasonal interest in sort of helping refugees, right? Um, and so that's sort of the early days. And that evolved to uh, taking insights from an internship that um, I was on uh, at PagerDuty and seeing how companies were super interested in like volunteering and um, helping their communities, but they didn't really have an efficient, scalable way to do it. And so it took a lot of time. It was very manual. Uh, so overall, the process on both sides, uh, nonprofits and companies was pretty broken. And uh, we went back to first principles and was like, we're like, how can we bring this complicated manual process that's kind of redundant in certain things um, and make it simple, something that people would actually want to do and um, appeal to people like us, right? People who are socially more aware and, and prioritize impact. Yeah. Um, so we really you know, put ourselves in our user's shoes. Like if, if you were an employee at a company, why do you not use your existing volunteering program? It's probably because it's too cumbersome. It's a lot of work. You forget about it. Uh, the UI is clunky. It's like you have to do a whole bunch of things to do this thing. It was literally harder to volunteer than it is to apply for a job and get paid. And so that's, you know, that's the irony there. So we basically brought it down to one-click volunteering. So that was our value prop. And we did the legwork on, on our end um, to build a managed marketplace. So we would partner with nonprofits. We would work with the HR leaders at companies companies and integrate into existing employee workflows. So we come to you as opposed to you come to the platform, which rarely happens. So uh, what I mean by that is, you know, coming to employees with uh, updates or essentially making it super easy to provide um, your preferences and attendance updates through Slack, through calendar, through email. Um, and, you know, we've seen that trend really grow in the past couple of years, right? Like Slack bots have become huge. You have entire companies that just live on Slack, um, as well as things like workflow automation software, right? Where you can hook up different things. And um, so that's sort of, we, we combined those two pieces and, and solved, uh, approached solving this problem in that way. Um, and so that's sort of how the, the startup evolved uh, in the end. To be honest, the early days, you know, it was like, do people want this? Will we even be alive in like 60 days? So we literally had like two month sprints. We were like, okay, these are the things we need to validate. These are our next steps, like get pilots, convert a pilot to a, um, like an actual paying customer. And so we took it one step at a time. And I think that's literally uh, as cliched as it is. It's like you focus on the user, focus on the problem and taking it one step at a time. Um, and Honestly, the biggest lesson that I, uh, I think um, I took from that, from the experience was the like delayed gratification or basically um, things take time. Like we didn't really see major adoption of our product until we were like nine months into working on it. And we were almost running out of money. We had like a quarter's worth of runway left. 
And that's when we had gotten into this accelerator in San Francisco two weeks before it started. So we literally had to sublet our sublets. Um, and, uh, you know, that's when we were like, okay, well, here, here we are. We know companies have money here. We know the general appetite for helping is a lot more in the Bay Area in terms of helping their communities and uh, the focus on uh, employee engagement. And um, as, as a differentiator for keeping your talent happy and also making it just a more productive workplace. So um, uh, that one thing led to another and we were able to get uh, Slack and Postmates and a few companies uh, on board as customers. And, you know, we were extremely surprised and also excited by like, okay, wow, like this thing we were building in Waterloo on the side that, you know, like we had Shopify and Deloitte and couple other companies in in Waterloo as pilots. Um, So that was, I guess, our first real validation of like solving a problem. We had literally replaced the job of one of the community managers at uh, at one of those companies. And uh, now she could do more strategic things, like bring it to other offices. And so um, that's when we realized we were potentially onto something. But, you know, um, that's that's sort of the zero to one in a nutshell in, in, in summary. I actually find that so awesome. So this this project started off as something that, you know, you guys were still in school. You didn't know if it was going to last for a very long time. But as you continued working on it and as achievements like slowly came, you realized the potential in the project then over time. Yeah, exactly. And I think the biggest thing that I really admired about like my co-founders is like you have, really have to believe. You have to believe in the idea. You have to believe that you can do it. Because, sure. um, you know, the lowest they're really freaking low um, in terms of like, hey, is this is like, what are we doing with our lives? Is this like, you know, we're barely able to get a new customer. We keep trying. People are keeping like, they keep pulling us along and like, oh, we're interested, but no one's really committing. So you have like all these existential questions of like, are you solving <laughs> the right problem? Do people want it? Like, um, you know, so uh, I think in those moments, it's I personally, that was my weakness. Uh, I, I, you know, I got a lot more anxious. Like I was like, wow. Like, uh, and so that's the main lesson here. I think in general, when you're building a product or a company, right? It all begins with like you have to have as a PM, even in a company, right? It's the same story where um, you have to fight for resources, or rather, make a convincing case, right? To like execs to part, uh, like basically budget to build this thing and validate your idea. So obviously, you have to iterate quickly and get those validations, yeah. but sometimes those things like don't really give you a compelling story early on. And do you give up or do you continue? Like, so I think it's super important um, in either situation, right? Um, especially in a full-time PM context where you have more breadth of scope, right? Because in internships, you have a time-bound period. So you can't really own the vision for like something for the year. Like you, you have to execute more so. But when you're, when you're doing new, like exploring new initiatives and so on, um, uh, in a longer time frame um, for startups, it's indefinite. It's like until you run out of money, right? So, um, okay. but essentially, it's like it's really having that conviction more so than anyone else. Because um, I think that's what differentiates like making a successful product or company. Um, and success is also relative, right? But essentially, taking it to the next step, right? Like you have yep. to believe you can get there and you'll figure it out. Um, and I think that's super important, easier said than done. And so that was the main takeaway that I think, you know, you can apply 
internships and full-time when you're doing your own company. Um, that's the main reason companies fail, by the way. Is the founders, like, have arguments or the founders give up, right? Yeah. So how do you feel like your experiences um, as a PM in earlier co-ops helped this initiative to succeed from a product standpoint? And I think it was a combination. I wouldn't say it was just my experience or my intuitions that, like, I think it's a team effort, right? Like, because we were building a B2B SaaS, like, uh, like our, our business model was selling to businesses and charging a subscription, right? So in that sense, it's not a consumer product where, you know, it, your, your main skills and levers there is like, how well are you able to like solve a specific problem for someone? And also how well are you able to market it, right? Yeah. Um, because there's so many, it's, a, it's such a noisy environment. Uh, so I think for us, like it was twofold, right? We had uh, my co-founder, um, she was Jade, she was really good at um, selling the vision or selling the product and being personable. I think uh, in B2B, it's a lot about relationship building. So you really have to make people believe in you um, and then then they believe in like your, your hypothesis, your product and their, your ability to like actually figure it out. Um, so I think part of the the success here is that you know you need to get people to bet on you in some ways right and the product hypothesis is i think what we really nailed so um, i think it's working on the fundamentals right as a pm you look at like the product development process um, and you see all these principles like focus on the problem uh, put the user first like all these like uh, strategies or frameworks that you adapt like how do you you know how do you build something um, and it was just simply applying those things consistently and focusing just on those right so we had competitors who had like dozens of features and like did a whole bunch of things um, and you know initially it was kind of intimidating we're like okay we're competing against this like company that's been around for a while they've raised a lot of money they have like a full-time team um, but I think for us, we were like, okay, what's the problem that people actually have that's not being met by these platforms? Because clearly those platforms are not working uh, from when we had discussed. Uh, we had, so we did about a, a, couple, a couple of months of customer discovery prior to even building. So we, we did customer discovery, validated the problem, got some paid customers in terms of pilots, so like low commitment. And then that's when we actually started to like, build and write some code and like actually work towards building something so we had validation that the problem area existed and our, our hypothesis was something people were interested in we didn't know if it would work um, that was the pilot like that was the purpose of that yeah. um, to see if our approach would get results and turns out we got 10x the results that you know manual processes did and other platforms did and so wow. um, the different i mean like you know that that was from that one pilot study right and that was what convinced them to continue on as an annual customer um this was north or talmic labs um mm -hmm. and um initially we actually did half the stuff manually so like we had like you know a feature fake where we basically like said it was automated but no we just like did it on our own um and that really helped us understand the specific nuances what people cared about understanding the workflow uh, while we figured out like, okay, here's how we can build that and automate that. Um, and then once we saw that, you know, that approach worked, um, then we were like, okay, like how do we scale this so that we don't have to do this as often? And that was something that um, I think we could have done faster, to be honest. Um, mm -hmm. 
but that also la laid the foundations for basically what um, ended up being a core part of the product, which is workflow automation um, for, for events. Okay, okay, that's awesome. So I feel like this journey is very like, inspirational to you know students out there who might want to try their own gig after graduation, but don't necessarily have the courage yet, right? Because I feel like, especially coming from a PM background or any background for that matter, as long as you know you have a committed team and you believe in your product, then I think it's worthwhile to at least pursue it um, until you know it won't work, right? Yeah, that's actually a really important piece that I had to learn the hard way. Um, <laughs> Uh, I mean, I think it was a personal failure of mine in terms of not really thinking about these things too deeply early on. Because um, early on, like, we were just honestly excited about the small momentum, like the small steps that were there, right? Like, we were like, okay, we got some pilots. Like, okay, let's actually figure this out. But um, I think we would have, I personally would have been a lot more, you know, efficient, effective, productive even um, if I had spent some time being more intentional about, like, the bigger picture as well. And you don't really need to have it all figured out. But what I mean by that is you really have to have your why. Like, why do you want to do a startup? It's definitely not shiny. Like, we barely paid ourselves. Like, we had to work 996. Like, it's, you, you have to really put in the work and put in the effort. Yeah. Um, and I, for me, that was fun. Like, it was an opportunity to, like, learn by doing about all these different aspects of building something, right? Like, a lot of it was marketing in terms of, like, the copy, um, and like, you know, the messaging and the emotions that you drive, um, the feelings of FOMO, like those are things that merely a product can't do, right? So that's part of like our brand or like our voice. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we had to think about things in many different ways and sales, that's, that's a different beast of itself. And um, I don't think, you know, it's something that comes naturally to most people with technical backgrounds, right? And so, that's something that uh, was super impressive about my co-founders is that they really knew how to, uh, and, I mean, we all started out being noobs, right? Like none of us were like, like, you know, KPCB fellows or like people who had like a, a proven credibility building a company, right? Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of it was like, hey, we have this idea. We are excited about doing it and like seeing where it goes. We don't really know what's going to happen. Um, yeah. And so there's so much uncertainty. Um, and I think having that conviction on why you're doing something and knowing the bigger picture, um, which my co-founders definitely had that clarity a lot more than me um, uh, early on. So I think the earlier you think about those things, the more aligned you are and like the more um, uh, ways you'll figure out things. Um, so I think that was a lesson for me. And um, so being really clear on why you want to do something and also being okay with taking the risk because um, you have to be comfortable with the fact that, hey, like you might not have an outcome that you were hoping for, yeah. but that's okay because like you're, like you're doing this for learning or so on. And so most people don't take, I actually was speaking to someone at, uh, at Hack the North last year. I was in town and volunteering and uh, they were like, they've been working at this really big, popular, famous, like fintech company for a few years. And, you know, they were like, you know, I don't really find fulfillment. It's pretty boring. I want to start my own thing, but I don't know how to. And I feel like working will give me more time to learn about it and like mm -hmm. see like how to do it. And honestly, the only way you can do it is uh, the only way you can learn is by actually doing it. Like you can't take an entrepreneurship course or like read zero to one or like how to start a startup or do startup school from YC. Um, like those are all means to an end. They help when you're actually doing something. 
and can apply it right away and see the outcomes, iterate on it. Um, and so I think, to be honest, like FIDP is the perfect time to, to dive into, like, if you want to do something and uh, take an idea from zero to one and see where you can take it, like, it's no risk at all. And I think it's more about having that inherent motivation to do it. When I, a lot of times your peers are just, you know, chilling, to be honest, right? In engineering, it's a grind for the first two years. And so what happens is people, if they know that they're going to start full-time, um, you know, it doesn't, like, you don't see that energy and that drive that people had earlier um, because they're focusing on other things, right? Like, yeah. they want to make the most of, like, the social experience that probably got deprioritized before and so on. So um, you really have to know why you want to do it and then go all in. I think that's that's the main way for you to get to a good outcome, um, especially in a startup environment. So I don't know if that was a bit too long, but um, hopefully there were some insights there that can help. Yeah, um, I definitely think there's a lot of value in what you just told us, especially for students who are looking to maybe launch their own venture after graduation, because realistically, it can be an um, intimidating thought at first. So just having that courage is the important part. But, uh, so yeah, I guess my last question for you would be, so uh, what advice can you give students who are looking to embark on a career in PM after graduation? So they've completed all their internships, they're um, freshly graduated, what, what advice can you give them? Awesome, yeah. Just one last thought on the, the previous segment, which was, um, honestly, university is probably the best time to, to try something because you have all these resources, you have all these student competitions, like Velocity, they have like a $50,000 uh, prize now, I think, before it was 25000 um, And there's all these government grants. I mean, granted, COVID might change some things, but there's also that means there's more opportunities for you to solve different problems. But um, like all those are things that people take for granted. And it's like, Waterloo is a really strong ecosystem for that. So um, uh, you just have to take that plunge, take the risk. And if it fails, like, you learn a lot from failure than it is like than from not trying or not doing yeah, it, right? Sure. So um, anyways, that's just closing thoughts there. For breaking into PM, um, is, that, is that right is, in, in terms of your last question? Uh, more so, um, so you're graduating. Let's say you've done maybe one or two PM internships already. So okay. what's the next step from there uh, for a full-time career maybe? I see. So basically finding full-time opportunities. Yeah. Um, so I, I have I had an interesting situation there, but I think overall, like it's a lot of people transition to full-time PM roles from like return offers, right? From their internships. Yeah. That's probably like the strongest or the easiest way to do it um, in terms of like getting something that you like because you already like know the company and mm -hmm. uh, you have those relationships there. Um, but let's say you don't have like a return offer and, or if you do and you don't really like, you're not vibing, you don't want to go back to the company. Um, I think the biggest thing that can help is, I mean, doing the job without having the job, right? So um, internship experience is great. And I, I do know actually a bunch of friends who've had like really great PM internships, but they still, it's still hard. It's still challenging to find something full time. And I think the main thing there is because um, it's no longer enough to just have PM internship experience, right? Because yeah. if you think about the funnel, um, there's a lot more PM internships than there are PM full-time openings. And PM full-time openings are a lot more of an investment for the company. Um, like internships, they have a time-bound period. So in other words, you really have to understand like um, 
the main levers I think that help is just having a strong network and working towards that, building relationships with people at companies that you potentially are interested in for full time. So if you can get started earlier and really find ways to add value to them um, and get get yourself in their mind space. Um, this can be like, you know, LinkedIn or like, you know, people have done a lot of creative ways to find full-time offers, right? It's like you, you, you put, a, put together a case study. Uh, you provide like a very detailed solution for a problem that you've observed that they're facing. Or maybe you have coffee chats with PMs there, right? And yeah. then that's where you get that inspiration from. So that's one like cold outreach strategy that I, um, you know, I've heard of work and, I mean, the other piece is like, if you have some experience, you're likely going to get interviews, right? Yeah. Uh, and then it's a matter of interview preparation. And I think you guys right now are probably the experts at that, right? So UWPM probably has tons of resources you can, uh, you can find out more about for like interview prep. That's like an execution problem where you put in the work, you have to put into practice. And um, beyond that, it's about luck, right? Like sometimes it's honestly like right time, right place. And um, that's something that you can't control, but what you can control is being prepared. So, yeah. um, and prior to being prepared, which is like getting interviews, I think networking and networking is overrated. It's mostly like building relationships, building friendships, right? Yeah. Um, and that's a long-term game. So, you know, you shouldn't wait until like the term you're graduating and be like, oh shit, I need to like apply and like reach out. Um, <laughs> that definitely helps to an extent where like, you know, if there's a company that needs someone with your background, well, hey, they don't care if you have never talked to them before, they're gonna try to see if you're a good fit and you can get the offer, right? Um, yeah. but, but a lot of it is in general, like, you know, over the course of your internships, if you know you wanna do PM for full time, then work towards that, figure out what industries, what type of companies uh, that you would be interested in and uh, start like finding people who work there and like building relationships there um, and they can be your supporters later on, right? For essentially, you're like, hey, I came across this opportunity and, um, um, you know, you want to actually get your foot in the door. Um, that's one way. And then the other way I think is um, being, like putting yourself in places or environments where you can have those opportunities. So you may not be able to get PM right away, right, as your first gig. But uh, if you put yourself in a company that is growing pretty quickly and um, you can see that they will have a need and they've also expressed that, hey, like they're hiring, they're, they're growing their product team soon, like they have some environment, the environment changes, maybe they, uh, they raise a new round or they have a new product at launching. And, um, you know, there's a lot of reasons why maybe right now they don't have an opportunity, but maybe in six months or like within a year, you could be the best person for that role because you already know enough about the product on the inside because you're working there. And this is if you have uh, other experience and you, maybe you start off as de in design or engineering um, and be very proactive and intentional about e expressing that you want PM roles um, and working towards that internally and transitioning in a year or two years. Um, I've seen that happen with a few friends too, and um, both paths are equally good. It's not like you don't, ha you don't have to get a PM internship right out of school, but if you know you want it, then you start earlier and, and set yourself up for success, hopefully. Yeah, for sure. I feel like um, on the topic of networking, I feel like students especially often forget that um, networking sometimes isn't enough. It's about going you know, deeper into your relationship and actually forming, you know, like an actual friendship with the person that you're talking to, right? Yeah, exactly. 
And I also feel like um, I can definitely attest for how important, you know, research and preparation are for the PM interview. Uh, personally, I've always found that, you know, understanding the company's mission, the role and the product, as well as the competitors in the industry are must knows on stepping into the interview, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. You brought up a good execution tip. I mean, you really have to show that you give a shit about the company and it's not like one of the hundred that you applied for and like, because you're trying to get a job there. So how can you stand out and basically make yourself the perfect person for the role um, or give, give that impression to the interviewers, right? And uh, I mean, I literally, uh, for one of my PM internships, um, it turned into a discussion for an offer what was supposed to be a, a, an interview. Um, <laughs> because I had done so much research about them and their background and essentially like um, really like tried to predict where they were going that the PM who was interviewing me was like, Hey man, like I don't, I haven't seen anyone else tell me all those things. I, I think that's a great idea. It's like, yeah. Like, so essentially um, you really have to give them the impression that you are the perfect fit for that because you know so much, you're really excited about it. And you can't do this for everything because you're generally not going to be excited about everything. So uh, in that sense, like um, if you really want it and if maybe you don't have that many options starting out and that's fine, right? Like um, everyone starts somewhere, uh, but you really have to stand out in some way. And I think those principles can be applied in any stage, right? Like when you're recruiting full-time for your next job even. Um, I mean, this is when you are, if you don't already know the CEO and be like, hey, like, uh, I want a job and they give it to you. Like, this is the, the part where you have to put in the work. Uh, but I think that's, that's something that I've seen work pretty well uh, personally and with like people who have posted their experiences on Medium and so on. So there's a lot of content out there to help people break into PM um, at different levels from different environments and backgrounds. Mm -hmm. um, a friend of mine actually started a podcast uh, for this specific to solve this specific need um so if that's helpful it's called paths to product.com um and she uh she also had an interesting transition to pm so maybe that's someone that you can feature in one of your future episodes um but yeah that's my my perspective is you have to stand out and um, basically find ways to add value and con convince people that you're the right person for the team and i mean i had to do this myself for transitioning to a new team um, and they had they'd literally turned down like a PM who had been working at the company for a few years and like he had like a, a lot more experience than me but I had like proactively put in the work and like expressed excitement and like give them a bunch of ideas like uh, hacked on an idea for the company mm -hmm. hackathon in the space that the team was in um, and you know that really gave them the confidence that it it's like I would be inherently motivated to do well or like to really figure things out in that problem space that they have. Um, so it's the same thing, you know, but in this case you have to do it externally so you don't have as much context, but I think it's, it's like a principle that really works uh, um, in, in either situation. For sure, absolutely. I definitely agree with that. Um, so with that being said, I think we've used up all the time that we have for today. Um, I want to say thank you for taking the time to share your journey with our audience. And thank you for, uh, to everyone for listening to everything he had to share. And we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in.